Amen. Let's put our hands together and welcome him one more time. Amen. Stay here, Mickey. Now, I want, to, I want to show you something before we leave. Great minds think so much alike. Look at our shoes. We have matching shoes. And now, what's uncanny about that is, last year I had a different pair of black, shiny Skechers, and he had the same shoes last year. So we great minds think alike. We both, we're walking in the same shoes, right? Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, it's a first. Amen. It is an honor to be back here. This is always, to me, like a marker in time because it's like uh, the end of my year. I don't do anything now for the rest of the year. I've actually, I've been kind of on vacation, but I come, I come off a of vacation to come here. And uh, this is like the uh, end of my year and the rest of the year. I will be pretty much hiding in my cabin or in a deer stand somewhere. I hope that's not offensive to you. Uh, some people are animal lovers. I love animals too. I love them fried. I love them boiled. I love them. <laughs> I shouldn't even said that because somebody gets mad. I don't know. Hallelujah. Anyway. But it is an honor to be here this morning and uh, uh, just to come back and share with you, you know, as they were talking about just honored to have me, but I'm honored to be here as well. You know, we do value uh, long-term relationships and friends that we've had for a long time, and I, this year has been an incredible year for us. It's absolutely exploded in January, February. I was thinking, well, I'll be 62 this year. I could possibly retire, and I was really contemplating that because last year seemed like it was a difficult year. A lot of great, a lot not of, I didn't think great changes were taking place, and it was just like it's one of those shifts in, uh, uh, you know, ministering. You're wondering if you're being effective and Felt like the Lord spoke to me in March that it would be my promised year, promised land season, and I would lead another generation into the fullness of the promises of Christ. And I went to a meeting that the Lord spoke to me to go to in Oklahoma where I was uh, not the speaker. It's the first meeting I've went to in, I can't remember the last time I went to a meeting where I was not the speaker. Not that I wouldn't go, it's just I didn't have a lot of time, but I felt the Spirit tell me to go there. And when I walked in the door, it was like all these well-known guys wanted to get their picture taken with me. And I'm like, I know who you guys are, but I'm just absolutely overwhelmed that you even know who I am, you know. But I put myself in an environment, I guess, where they could meet me for the first time and found out that while I thought I wasn't being effective, I was being hugely effective. And so some major doors began to open into some huge, huge venues. And if I told you some of their names, you would know them because you watched them on TV. Uh, of course, you know, I don't think of myself like that, but I'm on TV too. So I guess it's kind of like, but I don't think of myself like that. But I, I, I was at a place recently that the pastor is, uh, and I've been there several times this year. And I think you all might have been met this brother. Uh, maybe you all were at my, were you all conference this year, Jane? We all, you know, and, but this pastor was at our conference actually, but he pastors a network of churches with about 21,000 people on any given Sunday morning. That's just one of the doors that open. But I said to him, I said to them in front, I said to him in front of all of these other pastors who have smaller churches, I said, the reason the word got to his house is because you let me preach my heart in yours when I couldn't have preached it in his. Because they weren't ready to hear the word that we're saying now. So we've pioneered. And I said to him when I was at his church, and was, they were just such celebrating my ministry, that I, I, I said to them, it feels almost embarrassing to me that people are celebrating me like this, that, you know, in other words, I've been, I've been so rejected and hated for being a pioneer in a message till I, it was like totally different to be celebrated. It's like, Lord, I don't know how to be celebrated here. But, you know, I really believe that we're headed into a real fullness, not just for me, but a promised land season. Really felt the Spirit of the Lord speak to me even uh, this particular week and said to me that 2020 would be a year of real clear vision. 
2020 vision, that our eyes would be wide open and there would be a shift in our understanding, 20 being the number of redemption, but a clearer and clearer revelation of redemption. And I believe there's a shift in how we see things. Uh, so that, you know, uh, but I really feel like that we're going to begin to see some things uh, that, that begin to shift where we start to walk in, not just for me, but all of the body of Christ walks into some of the promises that of God has made to us, and we're going to see the manifestation of them. How many of you can receive that this morning? With that being said, I want to get into the Word this morning because I have a long drive home today, and, uh, uh, you know, I know it's Sunday morning. We need to just be conscious of time a little bit. But I'm going to read a, a portion of Scripture from, first of all, Deuteronomy 11 this morning. In verse number 9, it, uh, it says this, and I'm just going to read a few verses here and, and take a few verses from here and there. But verse number 9, Deuteronomy, the 11th chapter, I'll give you a moment to get there if you want to, because something really stood out to me in this verse. But verse 9 says, And that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, to give unto them and to their seed a land that flows with milk and honey. That sounds like a pretty good promise in itself, that he'll prolong your days. We were talking last night about a pastor friend of mine, which some of you know, but she pastors in McKeesport. She turned 103, I believe it was the 29th of October. I mean, that's pretty good, and she still wears makeup and high heels. Come on, somebody. That's, that's worth celebrating right there a minute. Now, me, that he may prolong your days, but not just prolong your days, but to give you a land that flows with milk and honey. I'll make some comments about that in just a minute. For the land whither thou goest in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt from whence you came out, where you sowed your seed and watered it with your foot as a garden of herbs. But the land whither you go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys, and drinketh the water of the rain of heaven, a land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. He will say later in this chapter, I won't go down and read it, he said to them, I will give you as the days of heaven on earth. That's pretty powerful. But what I'm after this morning, and we'll get there just for a moment, but what really stood out to me for this season and this word this morning is, he said, for the land where you're going to possess it is not like the land you came from. And here's the thought the Lord really placed on my heart for, I think, as we come to the end of this year and even the beginning of next year, is where we're headed. Touch somebody, say, where we're headed don't look like where we came from. Now that sounds shout material at first, but you know, I can remember a few years back prophesying that, that, that in a few years the church wouldn't look like it looked like a few years ago. And when it starts to shift, we're not so sure we want the change. Come on, somebody. People do not really like change sometimes. I remember when it was, when we had a church split when we took the hymnals, we didn't necessarily take them out of the church. We just had the little overhead projectors with the little slides we did. And we were singing corsets and worship songs. And that was revolutionary and cutting edge back then. Now, of course, we've got technology to put it on screens and on your iPhone and everything else. But I remember we had, I mean, we literally had prophecies about the handwritings on the wall, you know. But, you know, what happens is, is that, you know, it's amazing that, uh, that what was cutting edge at that point 
is now happening in the Catholic Church. In other words, there's a trickle-down effect to somebody who will lead the way. How many know that if you have three to six million people leaving Egypt headed for the promised land, the people at the front of the line are experiencing something totally different than the people at the back of the line. And what we have to do is get a grace for each other to realize everybody ain't at the same place in their journey. And even sometimes, as we were talking even last night, there's some things you can share with some people, but there's some things they're not ready to hear yet. I think about a, a, you know, a phrase from a movie, truth, you want the truth, you ain't ready for the truth sometimes. Because <laughs> I mean, no, if you knew you would believe what you believe after the journey goes on, way back when you started, you may not have got on the journey. But I have to say for me personally that the journey is better than it's ever been before in my life. And for the first, I mean, not for the first time, but for a season, I'm really enjoying this journey of Christian life. And see, what we've, we've got to miss this point of, you know, when I think about terminology like this, where he says, I want to give you a land that flows with milk and honey. I could say a lot of deep and profound things about that. But the reality of it is, that sounds to me like God is saying, I want to give you the best life on the planet. Let me, let me show you another verse. Let me, let me take you to uh, Genesis 9. I want to read verse number 6, and I want to read this to you from, from the Message Bible. Because this is so powerful to me. Verse number, uh, numbers, this is verses 6 through 7. It says, whoever sheds human blood... By humans, let his blood be shed, because God made humans in his image, reflecting God's very nature. Now look at this. This is the message version of this verse. You're here to bear fruit, to reproduce, and to lavish life on the earth, and to live bountifully. You are not here to just make it through. You are not here to just survive. Jesus did not say, I came to give you a ticket to heaven and a get out of hell free card after you live 70 or 80 years in misery. We got to read the scripture for what it says. I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And I've been doing the series on my TV program, you know, where I did like the, the seven times that Jesus said, I am in the scriptures, especially in the book of John, where he says, I am the light, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the way, I am the truth. And he would always say that in contrast to what they thought was the way. In other words, he's saying it to a religious audience who thinks that the way into the kingdom is through performance, rule-based religious system, through an old covenant paradigm, except the end of the law was it did not produce not even one righteous man, because Romans 1, 2, and 3 says the end of the law is there's none righteous, not even one, not even Moses, the mediator of that covenant, made it in by the works of the law. God was trying to show us that it was by the hearing of faith. So when he begins to come on the scene, Jesus begins to come on the scene. And, and, you know, one of the books I wrote called Unforced Rhythms of Grace comes from uh, the Message Bible, chapter 11, book of Matthew, last few verses. He says, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out on religion? Now, I can tell you I have thrilled a many crowd preaching that part of it. Because I will always get a, a shout of hallelujah. Are you tired? Are you weary? Are you burned out of religion? He said, come to me. Walk with me. Work with me. See, that's the key. Walk with me. Work with me. See how I do it. I will teach you the unforced. He says, you will recover your life. You'll get your life back. 
And he said, I will teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. I won't lay on anything you heavy or ill-fitting. In other words, the Christian journey should not be a burden where you say, just one more valley and one more hill. I'm telling you, a lot of the stuff that people carry and the problems and the stress that they are under is because of the fear of religion and the burden that it puts on people to perform. And here's the basic concept of most people in the American church. Just give me the basic rules for what it takes for me to get to heaven when I die and how to escape hell, and I'm happy with that. The problem is Jesus didn't come just to give you a ticket to heaven or a get-out-of-hell-free card. As a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't mention hell but just a few times. We don't even want to get into that this morning. But if the best we have to offer people is come to Jesus or we fire up a torch, (laughs) it's either him or this. Is Jesus that ugly? Is he that unattractive that the best we have to offer is to scare you into relationship with him? Now, I'm not going to get into the theology of all that. I'm just trying to tell you that I think it's time that we represent him in a light that says he's altogether lovely and that when he comes on the scene, see, religion, when I came to the Lord in my first years of religion, it was everything about it was stealing my life. Help me. Help me preach a little bit. In other words, it, it, it made you, it, in other words, we were famous for what we were against, what we don't believe in, and what, you know, hallelujah, and what we needed to stop doing, but we didn't realize that, listen, I came to God in the middle of chaos because the life I was in was not producing anything. I wasn't looking for, an, uh, you know, a ticket to heaven. I was looking for something that could change and transform my life right now that would give me a quality of life. That's what he purposed for me in Genesis. I want you to live life lavishly on the earth. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to replenish. I want you to live like, come on, somebody, a land that flows with milk and honey. You know, my son began to teach some of this at his church, and he talked about, you know, uh, houses you did not build and, and vineyards you did not plant. He began to preach that, and there was a girl in his church, and she said to him, uh, she said, you know what? She said, I know you're talking about spiritual things. But she said, you know what? I'm going to believe God for a house. I need a house. It wasn't a week or so later, maybe 10 days. This girl comes back. She says, you're not going to believe this. She said, but somebody gave me a house. No payments. No rent. They gave me a house. And she said to really the clincher was, she said, when I got this house, it was almost, and she said, it was an absolute miracle. I opened the door, walked into the backyard. She said, guess what's in my backyard? A vineyard I did not plant. (laughs) You know, when the Lord, go ahead and clap your hands. I think sometimes you believe God for things. You know, and I, I, I'm hesitant to even say some of these things because people think you're you're bragging about it. But even in this season, when I, you know, was uh, you know talking about the Lord saying to me, "It's my promised land season." There's a piece of land right behind my house that I have grown up, you know, riding four wheelers on, hunting, and it's just like about 36 acres, but it joins right at my property line. My and my property line is probably not from here to Zach from my house and I've tried to buy this land for years you know from the guy and he'd say well what do you want it for I said I don't want anybody to build on top of me and he said well you already got that you're not paying anything for it well man you know come to find out you wouldn't sell it but this year all of a sudden I get a note from a realtor saying you need to move your deer stand we're, we're going to sell that land at auction but to make a long story short I bought that land 
And the Lord said to me, this is your promised land, season, and I'm going to show you even in a tangible way that the land you walked on and put your feet on and said, I want this, Lord, is going to be yours. Can you hear what I'm saying to me? I believe it's time to stand for the promises that God made because he wants to give us the days of heaven on earth. Hallelujah. And he wants to bring us not just into a physical, uh, or, or, or just physical promises. Those are blessed. But into a spiritual promised land. Where, see, even when we think about... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus would say, for the kingdom of heaven is like. If you don't bring your brain and come to church and think about that, you think he's talking about where you're going to go when you die. Now, let me say to you, I'm not trying to take heaven from you. That's part of the package, so I want to clearly say that. But when you see Jesus teach on the kingdom, he's not talking about other world stuff. He's talking about this world stuff. He's talking about sowing seed and reaping. He's talking about stewardship. He's talking about giving you rulership over cities. He's talking about the kingdom expanding like leaven. In other words, he's talking about this is not just about you getting from here to there. It's about getting what's happening there to operate here. It's about his kingdom coming, his will being done in the earth. And when they get off of the boat in a new world that I just read to you from Genesis chapter 9, after God has purged the earth with a flood, how many know this time he purged it with his blood? And they got off of the boat and that old world had been wiped away by the water. That's what happens when you go down in baptism. Is it wipes away an old world and you emerge in a new world where the curse has been reversed. Do you know that that ark landed on a mountain called Ararat? And Ararat means the curse has been reversed. Those aren't accidents. And they landed in a new world. And God said, plan A, different day. I want you to live lavishly. I want you to be fruitful, multiply, replenish. And I want you to live life lavishly. I want you to live life lavishly on the earth. I don't want you to just make, make, do a living. I don't want you to just bingerly make it through. I want you to live life. I mean, if Genesis 1 starts with a man in the middle of a garden where all he has to do is throw his feet out of bed in the morning and say, just another day in paradise. That's what God's intention until man messed it up. But how many glad Jesus restored what he messed up? And I won't chase that rabbit, but everything Jesus does in his redemptive work, he does it in a garden. Because Adam had a garden and he turned it into a graveyard, but Jesus took a graveyard and turned it into a garden. Adam had access to a tree of life and he chose a tree of death and Jesus chose a tree of death and turned it into a tree of life to put you right back where God wanted you to start out with. And that's redeemed and put right back in. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, live life lavishly. He keeps on coming back and Jesus comes in the middle of this after 4,000 years of human history and they've got bondage till they can't hardly stand it anymore. And he starts preaching this message of life. I came to bind up the brokenhearted. And he wasn't talking to drug dealers and prostitutes on the street. He was talking to religious people who've been to church their whole life. Because who's more disappointed than people who've let religion rob them of life? Come on, somebody. Because the life is what becomes the light. In other words, I believe God wants us to be so have such a quality of life that people say, I want one like this. 
Is it out of my reach? I don't think it is. I think that what happens is there are principles of the kingdom that teach us how to access this. But the reality of it is, hallelujah, one of the things he has to move us away from to become this life that becomes a light. Help me, Holy Spirit. Is he has to move us away from the bondage of this slavery and this mentality. What they were dealing with here in Deuteronomy is where you're headed. Does it look like where you came from? And you would think they would be excited about leaving the bondage of a system of slavery. But they kept on wanting to go back. And he said, but where your head is like, like, like where you came from. Where you came from, you had to plow the ground with your foot. You had to carry water from the Nile River. You had to work this bad boy. You were a slave and a servant. And it is amazing to me that when you preach... A gospel that produces freedom. Help me, Holy Ghost. There's so much starting to explode in my spirit here. That people don't want freedom. They'd rather, just give me the rules, Pastor. Somebody please tell me what to do. What happens, though, is that takes away from you personal responsibility for developing a relationship with him where you walk with him, you work with him, you see how he does it. Because if you don't have a relationship, see, I'm not talking what I preach being free from law and being free from old covenant bondage. I'm not talking about being lawless. I'm talking about another form of government comes into your life called the Holy Spirit where you learn how to be governed by the Spirit. Now, I really even begin to see some scriptures totally different than I've seen before. Even Romans, the eighth chapter, where the apostle Paul would come on the scene and he would say, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. For the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God, for the creation itself will be brought into the glorious, listen, the glorious Liberty of the sons of God. And I always thought this is some far out distant scripture in the future. That one of these days creation is going to be set free. And then I begin to put it in the context of what a first century mind would have thought. And here's Paul who's been shipwrecked, beat, let down over walls and baskets. Spent a lot of time in Roman prisons. Perils among the sea, perils among false brethren. Rejected by the Jews, rejected by the Jerusalem council. I mean this guy is absolutely a revolutionary. He's wrecking a religious system. And these guys know he's right, but they know if he's right, I'm out of a job. So let's kill him. And that way would... Because we love bondage and we love controlling people. And so all of a sudden I begin to see that this suffering is not... You know, I, I, I came from in the 80s. It was a message very popular that was all about suffering. And it was like the more you suffer, then one of these days, if you suffer enough, that's going to produce sonship. I preached it myself. I remember, a pre- I probably told this story maybe here, but I had a pastor friend that, that probably you don't even know who this band is, but he played the trumpet for Tommy Dorsey and Glenn, Glenn Miller. Some of the older ones may remember the big band days, but some of you young people don't, but he played the trumpet for them. But he was a pastor friend of mine and, and great church in Houston, Texas. And he said to me one day, he was like, he's almost like afraid to say it out loud. He said to me, Lynn. Like he was dealing drugs out of the trunk. He's like, I don't think I'm part of the elect. I don't think I'm a son. So I'm like, Charlie, man, as far as I'm concerned, you're a glow-in-the-dark preacher, dude. If you ain't part of the sons of God or part of the elect, I don't got a chance of making it. 
I said, Charlie, why don't you think you're not a son? He looked around like I hope nobody hears this, but he says, I'm not suffering. He's like, he's concerned he's not suffering. He said, man, the church is going good. Me and the wife are getting along. The kids are behaving. Finances are good. Health is great. I'm not suffering. Maybe I'm not part of the elect. Because, you know, the suffering is going to produce this sonship thing. So he said, I was walking my great Dane dog, just concerned as I could be about this suffering. And he said, a bolt of lightning pierced the sky and thunder clapped. And he said, my dog took off running. He said, when he did it, jerked me, threw me down over the curb. And he said, when I hit my shoulder, he said, I broke my shoulder, dislocated it, tore my rotator cup. He said, I laid there on the ground and said, thank you, Lord. (laughs) Now, let me say to you, and Charlie has gone on to be with the Lord now, but that's the dumb in kingdom. The suffering that Paul was experiencing was a suffering of persecution for preaching a freedom and a liberty. And it was a freedom and a liberty from the bondage of a religious system that was a tyrannistic thing to them. And what he's saying is, I reckon that what I'm going through is not worth being compared with the glory that's about to be revealed. Because if I preach this, and I keep on preaching this new covenant, and I keep on preaching this way, and this life, that what's going to happen is somewhere down the road, there's going to be a glorious liberty that comes over all creation where they will never again be under this kind of bondage again. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that they stood up and some of them hazarded their lives to give us a place today where down in the centuries we're still living even in the most legalistic bondage of religion. We still are freer than they were. That's the liberty. And I'm going to say to you, because listen, I've been in ministry 40 years and and I measure success probably totally different than most people. Because I, I don't measure success by how many people know my name or how many books I've written or, who, 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 or how big the places are that I preach. I measure success by the fact that when I'm done and the day is over, I can hold my grandbabies in my arms and say, your pappy preached something that gave you back your life and gave you back a future and gave you back your dreams and gave you back, come on, a future that you can know that this is not about to end in misery and defeat. It's about God bringing us into a promised land and a life that flows with milk and honey and that the life that they now live, come on, is a life that's full of a quality of life where they won't miss out on the things that even religion robbed me from. I I was telling them last night, we weren't allowed to go to proms. We weren't allowed to go to, you know, high school dance. None of that stuff. We weren't even allowed to play. Everything was a sin. And I sometimes go on a cruise with my wife and I think, well, I sure wish I knew how to dance. Now, I'd probably look like a, you know, my Pentecostal shuffle. But I'm talking about simple things. And when I started even thinking about this, my, oh, my, my whole mind, and I'm ministering to you this morning, my thinking began to shift towards even the scripture. We were talking about this last night in conversation, where Jesus says to them, strive to enter at the straight gate. For straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, not heaven. It leads to life. And few there be that find it. But broad is the way, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. And for years I preached that the straight and narrow was performance-based Christianity, that you just need to get yourself back on the straight and narrow, and you need to get your act together. The problem is when you get your act together, it's just an act. Help me, Holy Ghost. 
And I begin to realize that the straight and narrow wasn't performance Christianity. The next chapter opens up by Jesus saying, I'm the door. I'm the gate. I'm the keeper. I'm the sh-. In other words, the straight and narrow is not a performance. It's Jesus. And when you find Jesus, he starts to give you a partaker of a divine nature that begins to produce in you a quality of life that said this light becomes the light. That's the way they... And he, what he was saying is, listen, almost everybody rejected him because few were finding this life. I used to sit and think when I was got saved, everything again was a sin. Everything was, you know, you know, anything fun. Here's the general rule: if it's fun, it's a sin. But after I lived seventy or eighty years in misery, being pulled through a knothole backwards, some glad morning when this life is over, then I can be happy. And then I started thinking: if heaven's like where I go to church, I do I really want to go there? These people aren't having any fun. Where you're headed don't look like where you came from. I don't know if you can hear this or not. Because when it don't look religious and it's not full of bondage, and we start seeing shift change, I started thinking about even our churches the other day. And, you know, because I'm 62 years old, I start thinking, you know, things have changed so much to where our churches look like nightclubs. And you know what? I, I could easily be critical of that, except to see that these churches that look like nightclubs are full of young people. And the nightclub's empty. So it don't look like where we came from. Come on, somebody help me a little bit. Where we're headed don't look like where we came from. Because my life is a whole lot better outside of all of that stuff that kept us even from having a relationship because it was a sin to watch TV or do this. So you didn't ever invite nobody to your house because you were afraid they were going to find out you got a TV in your closet. You were secretly watching Andy Griffith. And sitting there condemned the whole time thinking, I'm going to bust tail wide open. Shot our TV sets and then... Uh, now I'm on it five times a week. Go figure that. Hallelujah. And all over YouTube. Hallelujah. Found out there's nothing evil about this. It's what you, that thing has a knob. You don't have to watch everything. Hallelujah. And whoever controls the media usually controls the way we think. So it might not do hurt. Doesn't turn something. Watch me once a week or so. <laughs> Plug for you, praise the Lord. But I think what will happen is it will give you back your life. And what I begin to realize, my, my own children, I, and I'm not getting where I want to here this morning, but I'm thinking about the quality of this life. You know, because my, my mom used to, for instance, she would come in when we were in those days, and I, I don't disdain or hate where I came from. It is that we, we did the best we could with what we had. In other words, it was the revelation of the time. But my mother would come in and she would testify in church and she would, she would say, I, 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 saw, I was at the grocery store today. And she'd get that little jerk. Mmm. Mmm. Shundai. She'd get a little Shundai on her. And she said, I knew she was a saint of God. Mmm. Hallelujah. Because of the glow on her face. And what a testimony she was to the world. And I'm thinking, Mom, that ain't a shine or a glow. That's a shine from no makeup. And I said, you didn't know her because of the glow on her face. You knew her because she wasn't wearing makeup. She had a beehive or a top knot for her, head, for her hairstyle. She had a dress to her ankles and black hair under pantyhose because it was a sin to shave your legs. I shouldn't have said that. Lord, I apologize. But there's nothing, nothing worse than that. Hallelujah. And so what she did, this woman looked like, and God love her. And she meant, well, her heart's in the right place. But she looked like Granny from Beverly Hillbillies thinking she's a testimony to the world. Except we think that life was the light and the world's going, you mean your God makes you look like that? 
Oh, come on, help me a minute. Think about what the world sees when they see us. And, and, and in other words, what, what is it that is... It, the life becomes the life. And, and so, I, as I, you know, I, I began to preach a lot of this kind of stuff years ago. And I'm not I, I, trying to take all day here today. But, we, you know, we, we, people started getting their life back. And my wife and I were sitting on our porch the other day at our cabin talking. And I said, you know, we did something that mattered. That the quality of life, we never lost our kids because of this. They never felt like religion stole their dreams. I have a daughter-in-law who is a doctor, a medical doctor. My son is a pastor. My other daughter-in-law is a chiropractor. My son is the executive producer for our television stuff. It gave us, the and, and, and our whole church is full. My dad had seven kids, and they started getting married and having kids, and there's like, I don't know, 60-some of us now. But all but one or two are serving God because the gospel we preached didn't take their life. It gave them back their life. Now, where I came from was full of that bondage. And I began to realize that Egypt, where they came from, was a place of slavery. And under the old covenant, you were slaves. But in the new covenant, you're sons. And how many know it took them 40 years to slip, shift from a slave mentality to a son mentality? Because everything in it, them wanted to go back to how it used to be. Can you imagine saying, would to God we died back in that bondage? There are people who come to me who are having a struggle, especially from my age group and up. Just need to preach against sin a little bit more. Well, I remember how it used to be in the old days. I do too. Don't want to go back there. And I have to constantly remind, and myself, because sometimes I have to rethink through some things as things are being, because we preach a lot of stuff that ain't Bible. It's culture. It's American culture. And it won't preach outside this country. Well, thank you for that thunderous amen. Now, I'm not talking about lawlessness. I'm talking about spirit-governed life where we're led by the spirit. I mean, I think there are some basic things that Paul gives some guidelines to. But I came across the scripture, Revelation 11, verse 8 says this. And their dead bodies shall lie in the great sea, uh, in the street of the great city. Talking about the two witnesses. Their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And I've read over that dozens and dozens of times, but it never dawned on me. Our Lord was not crucified in Sodom or Egypt. But the Holy Spirit said he was crucified in the city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. How many know where Jesus was crucified? Not a trick question. Jerusalem. So the Holy Spirit's pointing to that city, the centerpiece of Judaism, the centerpiece of law and legalism. Old covenant. Are you following me? So I was in the ministry before I realized the new covenant is not an addendum to the old one. It's not Jesus plus this. It's a whole different covenant, a new covenant. And everything about it is better, better blood, better promises, better tabernacle, better priesthood, better sacrifices, better offerings, a better city, a better promised land. Everything about it is better. Read Hebrews. We somehow want to keep going back to what it was. But all of a sudden, I begin to see Egypt that we came out of is not necessarily the bondage of the world. It can preach like that. But what bondage he was talking about here was, 
He was trying to set them free from the bondage of the tyranny of an old covenant system that made slaves out of them where it was all about divers' washings and, and broad phylacteries and long prayers for pretense and all of this ceremonial rituals that had no life in it. Jesus comes on the scene and sits down at the table of a tax collector and a sinner and blows their mind because he's hanging out with people you wouldn't think he'd hang out with. Hallelujah. And all of a sudden I begin to see that when he said, I'm going to bring you up out of Egypt and where you're headed doesn't look like where you came from. I started thinking, man, we're trying to go back to some things of how it used to be. Trying to rehash what we think we call a new thing. It's an old thing in a new package. And God's trying to get us to do what he told the children of Israel. When they came out of Egypt and they came on the bank of the Red Sea. And God began to want to draw them forward. It was going to baptize six million of them in the Red Sea. In the Red sea. All of a sudden, Pharaoh started to pursue them. And the thump of horses' hooves began to come in the dust of Pharaoh's chariots. And those people who thought he was the man of faith and power for the hour turned on Moses and said, you're a baby killer. You brought us out here to die. It's because there was no graves in Egypt. We thought you would, you know. Yesterday, the crowd, that's, what I, that's why I'm not moved by crowds. One minute they love you, the next minute they hate you. Come on, somebody. And they were turning on him in a New York minute, if you will. And Moses God gets before God. He said, God, what's that? They got this, I'm going to choke you look on their face. Like, did you bring us out here to die? Would to God we'd have died in Egypt? Is it because there's no graves? I could hear Joseph's bones rattling, saying there's at least one there because I told you when I left, take my bones with you and don't you leave me in no Egyptian graveyard. So if you want my grave, you go back and have it. But people don't like things that are unfamiliar. And this could have been a 40-day camping trip, but it turned into 40 years because they keep on murmuring and complaining and wanting to go back. At some point, we're going to have to realize where we're headed don't look like we came from and just hold on for the ride because it might get funner than you thought it would be because I'm pretty happy with where I'm at right now. And I sometimes wonder, what's this going to look like in 10 more years from now? Because I'm going to have fun, fun, fun till daddy takes the T-bird away and I'm going to stand before God. He's going to high-five me and say, I had a hoot living in your body. What a journey. Come on, somebody. Listen, if, if this is not floating your boat, I could preach something that will beat you up. But you didn't come here to get beat up. People say, well, you're one of them feel-good preachers. That's why it's called the good news. You should feel good when you leave the house of God. If you came in here feeling bad, you need to start feeling good. Because it ain't, come on somebody, God is not out to get you. He's not out to destroy you. He's not out to blast you with fire. He wants to give you the best life on the planet. He wants to bless, read Deuteronomy. I want to bless your kids, your cows, and your cash. I want to give you long life, and I, you're the land that the Lord your God cares for. You had to do this with watering it with your foot and carrying your water from the Nile River. But the land that God is bringing you into is a land, and it's not a place anymore. In Hebrews 4, the promised land is not a piece of real estate. It is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He is the promised land. And if you are in Him, you are the land which the Lord your God cares for. You're the place where God sends you the rain of heaven. A place where God himself is the gardener. 
a place where you don't work it with your foot and carry your water. It's a place where you just lavish life and enjoy the journey. And you get up out of bed in the morning and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. What's the next adventure, Papa? Come on. Say, well, it's not working for me like that. And there may be moments where you go through things like that. But I'm telling you that most of the chaos we experience is not God doing it to us. It's because we've got something out of order in our lives. That if we, listen, hallelujah, my mom always said, if you can't listen, you've got to feel. So if it's creating pain, here's my deal. Avoid as much pain as you can. Keep, why keep doing the same repetitive behavior? That's, <laughs> that's insanity. Are you hearing where I'm coming from? But I begin, to, you know, as I begin to say, preach some of this, I was just sharing it last night, and I need to find a place to land this this morning. But this year, this year again, we had two people that we knew that were part of our ministry that were uh, nominated for Grammys. One of them was a rapper. I don't know his stage name. I know his real name. His real name is John Rubin. I hope you don't mind me saying that. Hallelujah. But I'm not sure exactly his stage name. He's a rapper. And... Uh, he learned, he got saved, filled with the Holy Ghost in our youth camp when he was 15 years old. Him and my oldest son used to write rap together. would lay in their bunks and write rap for the youth camp, and they would perform rap music. He, he pursued it as a career, and my son pursued it as a ministry for several years and had a band and did hip-hop and stuff like that. John uh, was on the red carpet this year and, and got nominated for Grammy. He didn't, win, he didn't win it, but he was nominated for Grammy. We had another girl that was a worship leader in the church that we preach at in North Carolina, and her stage name is Yubba, and uh, her real name is Abby. It's her name backwards, but her father's name is Michael Smith. Michael pastors a church in Memphis, Tennessee, and was Kelly Varner's worship leader for years. She not only was nominated for Grammy, but she won a Grammy. That's two people. I prophesied over a guy in Peculiar, Missouri, and I said, when I did it, you could, spill, you could just feel religious spirits cr- uh, cringe because I was in a real small venue, and I prophesied over this guy. He sang... A song one night, and I said, God's going to open a door for you in the country music business, and he's going to give you a major, a major opportunity in the country music business. When I say country music, you could tell religious spirits were screaming. Three years later, he sends me a message on Facebook. He says, I'm number 10 from the top on the X Factor. I think that prophecy you gave me is going to come to pass. He won that $5 million contract and uh, is a, a singer now today. Now, you say, why are you telling us? Because I believe the real gospel gives you back your future, your dreams, whether you want to be a doctor or a politician. I think what we've done is we've preached a message that stole people's lives and said, come out from among them and be separate. You need to read context when you're talking about that. What he's talking about you separating yourself from was that religious system. Because what happens is then you become salt and light in the world, whether you're in the industry of entertainment, whether you're in the industry of business, you're in the industry of law, or you're in the politics. God help us get some godly politicians with some dreams. Come on, to come on, touch our communities and turn our world upside down. We must preach a message that brings clear vision and turns some stuff around where people can realize, listen, this is about easing the suffering of the human condition. And this life becomes the light. And it's inclusive in the sense that when Jesus shows up on the scene, he said, the people that sat in darkness, and he starts including the Gentiles in this whole thing, saw a great light. This light came into the world, and people, he said, loved the darkness more than they loved light. And there's nothing worse than spiritual darkness. For when the light that is in you becomes darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, when what you thought was the truth is literally your deception. 
Such a sobering thought, isn't it? That what I thought was the answer was actually the problem. I'm not talking about anti-Jesus. I'm very pro-Jesus. And I'm not even anti, what is the term for law, uh, what is it? Uh, I forget the term for somebody called me that one day and I didn't even know what it meant. Antinomianism. Your ant means you hate the law. No, the law is good if a man uses it lawfully. But it's not for the righteous. And you've been righteous, but come on. Not by your performance, by the blood of Jesus. You've been made righteous based on what he did. So it's for the sinner and the ungodly. In other words, if you don't have an indwelling Holy Spirit living inside of you, you need somebody to tell you don't kill. Don't commit adultery. But if you've got Jesus living inside of you, you start to operate from another law called love. And when you love, you don't steal from your brother. You don't take his wife. Come on, somebody. And the law of love supersedes that. You start operating in a whole different thing. That's going to help you avoid a lot of chaos and enjoy a whole lot of life. Am I making sense to you this morning? Because where we're headed doesn't look like where we came from. In the midst, let me close, but in the midst of the children of Israel turning on Moses and saying, we've got the Egyptians behind us. The enemy is hot on our trail. The Red Sea is in front of us. We're between a literal rock and a hard place here. Now, you would think that this pillar of fire between them and their enemy would clue these people in. Got a pillar of fire, come on, by night, keeping the enemy at bay, and a cloud by day. You would think it would dawn on them, hey, God must be for us, because we never had this before. This power plant is following us. This rock is following us. Water is gushing out of this rock. It's Manna is falling in our backyards every morning. Angels are delivering our breakfast. Could it be that God is for us? At some point, somebody should believe. Moses looked at the people, and they've got this, I'm going to choke you, look on their face. And he cries out to God, said, what must I do? Because these people are about to turn on me. This is what God says to him in Exodus. I believe it is chapter 14. He said, wherefore criest thou unto me? Say what? If I'm the leader and God said that to me, these people are going to choke me. And I said, God, you've got to help me. He said, why are you crying to me? Here's the next part. Tell the people to go forward. Because the answer to your problem is to tell the people, go forward. Stop looking back. Because in the moment you put your foot in the brink of the Red Sea that's opposing you, God will rest in the middle of the Red Sea and the water will roll back and you walk over on dry land. And the same water that saves you will destroy your perpetual enemy. And God said, you t- hallelujah. You ought to clap about that. And he says to them, take one last look at the Egyptians, for the Egyptians which you see this day, you will see them again no more, forever. So I'm going to close with this thought. Tell the people, go forward. Come on, stand on your feet over this building. For the land whither thou goest to possess...
It's not like where you came from. I'm telling you, that's resonating in my spirit in this season. <clears throat> so when it starts to look different, even, you know, the way even, I could talk about all kinds of logistical things. See, the message never changes, but the method of delivery does. One of the things that I began to get concerned about last year, and I think there's probably some legitimate concern, is that people uh, would come to a service on Sunday morning, but Friday, Saturday, if we were in an area, crowds were way low. People just weren't coming out. Pastors quit having meetings because people weren't supporting them. When you're in mobile ministry for 40 years, it's pretty tough to be, first of all, say much in a 45-minute window, and then you can't get them there long enough and, you know, bottom line, let me just cut through some fat. What you don't support goes away. I don't care about your local church or your 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 your, your, your school or your your PTA or and there's a generation that's been supportive. It's an older generation that financially support and the younger generation is the life of it. But as the older folks start to retire, if the younger folks don't step up, there won't be a church for the next generation. You'd have to decide if it's valuable to you enough to get behind it with your time, your talent, and your treasure. And I'm not trying to be critical because I don't know and have no particular axe to grind or anything, but I can just tell you as an observation traveling across the country, and every time I say this, people laugh. I said, my generation shows up for a church dinner. We come with fried chicken, mashed potatoes, gravy, coleslaw, and a cake. The next generation shows up, they got a two-liter Pepsi and a bag of potato chips. They're going to take three plates home with them and, and leave you clean up the mess and hope we do this every week. No, I'm preaching good. And they're like, we'd come to church, but we got kids. And I'm like, we raised you in church, and that's why you're here. It's where your heart is. Your treasure will be. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to tell you. There's some changes that I don't think necessarily has to happen. Because what happens is when you give people back their life, they're like the children of Israel. He said, when you get into this land, and you've eaten from vineyards you didn't plant, and you've long enjoyed the fruit of the land, be careful that you forget not the Lord your God who did it. So I say to all these, even these entertainers that we've had an impact on, when you get there, my daughter-in-law, who is a doctor, who says, but you preach gave me back my future. When you get there, don't forget the purpose is still the kingdom. And don't let that steal your heart because I hope some of you make millions of dollars. You remember Brother Howes. <laughs> and, you, and you remember New Life Church. And you remember what gave you back that life. Because you can see right now there's a massive shift in Hollywood. I don't know what you think of Kanye West. And I'm not even familiar with his music. But he's getting more people saved than most pastors. So good for him. Saw on the back of Pharrell Williams' jacket one night in the... And the, uh, uh, on the voice, Holy Ghost and fire on the back. And he says to the young girl, the reason that you move the crowd is because when you sing, the Spirit moves. You're anointed. He's using church language. He said, so take them to church tonight. I just did a meeting with a lot of leaders, a, a network of churches, and there were Hollywood producers and directors there. And he said Hollywood realized when Mel, when Mel Gibson did the movie The Passage of the Christ, there's a whole market out there that we're missing because we're not producing anything that Christians want to watch. We need to start producing some... Are you hearing what I'm talking about? In other words, what I'm trying to say is I believe that all of this stuff can shift and change. 
start to think like I'm salt and I'm light. And then as I get my, my dreams at God, whatever, I, you know, see, we, we've told people you couldn't do anything for the kingdom unless you were a missionary or a pastor or worship leader and thank God for all of that. But that wasn't their God dream. Preach for a guy in Alberta, Canada was a famous hockey player. He said, I had, they put me out of the church when I played hockey. My son also played hockey. We said, until we came across this message, we weren't even welcome. Our, our parents put us out because it was a sin. I see that to me. And I said, man, what they don't realize is the whole time you were a professional hockey player. Would you be welcome? Would you welcome about three of the Pittsburgh Steelers here as covenant partners of this ministry? It would be okay if about three or four of them show up and say, hey, I want to be part of New Life. Would, would you welcome if it was somebody in your church that became one of them? think it's not possible yeah i've been preaching 40 years and i see the fruit now it's start i'm starting to come into my promised land and i want to tell you you ain't seen nothing yet hallelujah because what we're doing with television costs a lot of money but it's reaching a lot of people and it's shifting stuff on a huge level not just in this country we're hearing from all over the world and here i was thinking about quitting Just about the time it got good. Hallelujah. So I've even begun to lose weight, steward my body, because I want to live a long time and feel good while I'm doing it. And, you know, y'all be calling me Skinny Lenny here after a while. Hallelujah. I've lost 23 pounds since the 1st of October. How's that for doing good? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because with long life, I'll prolong your days. Hallelujah. Take somebody by the hand. Let me pray. and get them. Father, I thank you so much this morning. That that life that we have is not exclusive of the life that flows from our union with you. But you are the life. You are the way. You are the truth. Everything else was not the way. It was not the truth. It was not the life. You are. You said, I am. I am. You were saying, that's not. This is. And if you enter through the door into the sheepfold, you will go in and out, and you will find pasture. And I will give you life. And I came. And that life then becomes the light that men are attracted to. So, Lord, I pray that everything, whether it's from a secular world or from a religious world that is sucking the life out of us, that we will turn away from the death and we will reach for the life. all of the darkness all of the chaos will dissipate hallelujah as we stand in this place of being fruitful and multiplying and living life lavishly on the earth thank you
that you're a good, good God. And that you are good all the time and that the gospel really is this good. We pray, pray the Spirit lead and govern us, lead us into what produces that life for us. As we walk with you, we work with you, and we see how you do it. Teach us the unforced rhythm of grace so that we will recover our life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, Pastor Chris. Let me...